Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 163. Haven't you done enough? This week we're discussing season 3, episode 7 of Angel, Offspring, and season 2, episode 4 of Battlestar Galactica, Resistance. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Angel first this week. Uh, we're talking about Offspring um, and getting back into uh, some Darla plot, which uh, so yeah. far this season we only saw those couple scenes of her. Was it in one episode or two maybe at the most of, of her being sort of pregnant down in uh, like Mexico yeah. or whatever? Um, very pregnant. Yeah. Um, and right, going- there was a couple... Because, right, because there was the one where, like, she was at the bar. Yes. And then, and then she goes to, like, a shaman, like, yeah. like in the next episode. So, like, just, like, two scenes in two different episodes or something. Um, but, yes, so uh, she's very pregnant. Like, she's, like, pregnant, like, about to burst kind of pregnant. And um, yeah. Wes says she looks, like, 18 months pregnant or something. Yeah, right. right. Or, or yes. someone says that. Yeah. Um, and so she's heading uh, back up. Uh, she's been unsuccessful with finding out what exactly is going on and what to do about it. So she's heading back up uh, to L.A. Um, but first, wanted to kind of we have a little bit of a frame, so we'll kind of uh, come back to the last scene at the end. But wanted to start with uh, the flashback that we get Um which is uh, in Rome in 1771. Uh, yeah. So it's sort of in the time period where Angel, Angelus, I should say, and Darla are mm. sort of t- still together and at the height of their, you know, little reign of terror that they have. Um, you know, and living dangerously because, like, they say, like, they come to Rome because Darla, you know, likes the frescoes. You know, even though, as Holtz points out, it's a dangerous, particularly dangerous place, what with all the, like, crucifixes and monks around and everything. Mm. Um, So it's like they're in there sort of reckless, you know, we're going to go where we want to go. And, you know, uh, you know, despite how, you know, you know, particularly dangerous a place might be. Um, Right. So... Yeah, so we get um, Angel Angelus gets caught by these monks who are kind of like, there's something shady going on with them. Like they've been sort of excommunicated from the church. And it seems like the implication is that they're like former inquisitorial, you know, uh, guys. So they're sort of a little, certainly... um, adept at torturing and even a little happy to do it. Um, so these are not like normal holy monks. These are like, you know, scary monks who will hunt people down and torture them. Right. Um, right. Like Opus Dei from like Dan Brown. Sure. Right. Have you, have you, have you not, have you read, uh, I have not read those books. I have yeah. seen the, the movies. movies. I don't know how many movies there are. I think I've seen sure. one or two of them. Sorry, the guy above me decided to rearrange his furniture, apparently. 
Um, <laughs> there's like a loud scraping yeah. noise. Um, sorry about that. Hopefully it'll stop. Um, uh, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He's literally rearranging his whole apartment. Um, so what was I talking about? I have no idea. Um, the, so, the okay, monks. so the monks catch Angelus. And so I wanted you to kind of remind me because I feel like we've gotten Holtz a little bit intermittently and I'm trying to remember if what we learn in here, I think it's new information, right? That uh, we know he's like this kind of badass vampire hunter, like kind of uh, Van Helsing type guy. Um, but sure. we learn here, I think for the first time that there's a personal vendetta too, that he, that Angel and Darla like killed his whole family and everything. And that's mm -hmm. new, right? Did we know that before? I can't actually remember. Yeah. And I feel like that happened like maybe even since the story that we had seen before. Ah, so it could have been in so, retaliation for his yeah. hunting. So there's there's a number of years between the last time we saw them. Um, right. And I don't I don't remember the exact years, but I want to say there's like where it's 1771, like like maybe 1765 or something is like when we saw them uh you know in the in the burning uh barn and mm -hmm. whatnot um but i i don't i mean i'm not positive like that could have like maybe the reason that he's chasing them at that point is because they had already killed his son so or killed his uh family or whatever um right and then right. we see again so remember um few episodes ago we had um james and elizabeth who were uh the vampire couple that mm -hmm. kind of comes back after many years and angel sort of inadvertently kills and then uh the the elizabeth right and then uh uh james sort of has it out for him uh in in modern day la now mm -hmm. um and so we see them again. I forget where they are um, at that point, but like, right? You know, we see, you know, James is sort of the young, you know, whatever vampire there, and um, uh, yeah, Holtz like tracks him down with like horses and stuff, and they escape at that point too, and whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a series, kind of a series going on there. So I don't, yeah. I don't remember if we get the story about Holtz's family at that point, but there's definitely like some time pad. Like this is, this has gone on for years and mm -hmm. we even get like, since the last time we saw them, wherever they were in Europe, they went to like Northern Africa or right. whatever. And then, you know, now have returned. And so, um, you know, Holtz has been sort of chasing them all over um, right. as, as a good vampire hunter does, yes. you know. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you get, I mean, I think that's important to, to note for the kind of ending is you get like his sort of relentlessness of, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm 
responsible for a certain area and I will chase you out of my neighborhood or something. It's like, no, he will pursue them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, around. I mean, even Buffy doesn't do that. Like Buffy, yeah, she's the vampire slayer, but like she's kind of based in Sunnydale and like, okay, yeah. yes, it's a important Mecca of demonic activity and everything, but like she doesn't relentlessly pursue her, you know, her uh, prey across the globe, mm -hmm. like where, whereas definitely so, that's what this guy does. Um, so, so, and maybe that is because they killed his family. So maybe, maybe that's his reason sure, for pursuing like his them personal so quest, relentlessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's true. We don't really know for sure. Did they? Is that the reason he started chasing them, or did they specifically like target his family because he was chasing them? It's you know, we're not quite right. sure. And then, and then maybe he became right. a vampire hunter. Right. Because of that. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, so they're gonna, you know, torture Angelus just kind of because they can. And to see, like, they say kind of to experiment with, can they, Okay, he hasn't doesn't have a soul, so he can't be saved. But can they like, you know, burn the demon out of him, and will anything be left? But you kind of get the sense of like, well, it's also just for the the pleasure of seeing him yeah. tortured. It's not that they actually expect any sort of like redemption or anything. Um, but, right. But before that can happen, Darla comes in with her. Uh, you know, to the rescue with her flaming arrows and yeah. uh, her vampire backup and everything. Yeah. Um, well, and there's there's kind of, there's that line where he says, you know, you have no soul, you cannot be saved. So he kind of knows it's pointless, mm -hmm. but it's also not pointless because it makes him feel better. I right. guess, the like torture you know, is like, the point. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like right. Exactly. Like his own family would have been tortured by. Angelus. So, yeah, the point is is the torture itself. Um, right. It's the revenge of it. It's not. He's not gonna, you know, save his soul through you know, yeah. uh, you know, any sort of reparations or anything. It's it's yeah. the you know the pain is the point of it all. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's also the flip though of. Angelus, you know, when he says to Darla, like, shouldn't we be killing Holtz? And she says, I know, but it's just so much fun ruining his life. He's like family now. Mm. So, so you get the sense, like, there's that sense of, um, one, it's so much fun ruining his life. So, like, she's, she's got the same attitude back. So, mm -hmm. in a way, maybe he's become more vampire-like mm. in his own pursuits that like it's not it's it's more similar to what angelus and darla are doing of you know just torturing someone for the fun of it at this mm -hmm. point basically um and then also the the sort of um vicariousness or or the you know adoptiveness of you know he's like family now so mm. You know, that's how Darla sees him, like, like he is one of us in mm. a way. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Whether Holt sees it that way or not, right. you know, um, is whatever. But there, there does seem to be in his, 
in his torturing of them. Um, there does seem to be a certain amount of like it, you know, that it, that it doesn't matter that, uh, you know, I, will there be anything left, anything at all? I doubt it, but I'm willing to spend the next fortnight of my life finding out. Like, like you said, like this is, I mean, it's kind of scientific, but you're getting the sense, like it's just to appease his own, whatever satisfaction, Mm. you know, it's not fun per se in the way that it's fun for Angel and Darla, but it is, it, it's an amusing pastime, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that there, there definitely is a sense where, yeah, he has sort of become like them in that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, there was that line, I think, uh, in the last episode where Angel said like, or it was the Billy episode. Was that the last episode where, um, Angel said, like, it wasn't, um, like, I never hated my victims. It was about, like, just the pain or the pleasure of the experience. Like, and I feel like that, that is, that is a vampire attitude. And that is kind of Holtz's attitude of, it's not about the end result of, oh, Angel's evil and it's my job to eliminate him. It's more about, like, the journey is more important than the destination. (laughs) Like, you know, the process of exacting revenge on him is more the point than like eliminating him mm-hmm. you know uh at least it's become that way you know maybe his own personal you know sure. grudge has driven him to be more you know uh more of that state of mind which does remind you a little bit of the way that the vampires like see their victims and everything mm-hmm. um yeah so, yeah. So, I mean, interesting kind of to have, like, this vampire hunter figure who's not, um, you know, upheld as, like, a moral, like, standard, really. Like, you kind of get the idea of, like, oh, he's a good guy. He's out killing vampires. Like, like all the good guys do that we know. But sure. in some ways, it's sort of unsettling because he's kind of almost as bad, you know, um, like at least the way he goes about what he does is, is seen as kind of twisted and wrong and everything. And like the fact that he's working with, you know, like this Monsignor who's been, you know, kicked out of the church, you know, which in those days, that sort of excommunication basically damned you to hell. Right. Right. Like I, maybe it still does. I don't know. But like, you know, right. there's there's that sense of like the people he's working with aren't exactly holy people either. You right. know, um, right. So yeah, right. Yet they're traditionalists. <laughs> Traditional, hear, yeah. When when I hear that, I I always think of the line in Firefly where Simon says he would have a mustache. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, he says I'm a traditionalist. Um, anyway, uh, neither here nor there. So, yeah, so I don't, I mean, I don't know what more to say about Holtz at this particular point. Um, other than, you know, in typical fashion, Darla swoops in, saves yes. Angel, you know, takes him away and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They and live, they, they live to yeah. suck another day. Yes. And leave Holtz alive 
because of the fun that they all have together. Um, right. So, yeah. So, okay. Switching to the modern day plot. Um, I think most of the central stuff kind of all relates to Angel, like, although it's kind of all hard to separate. Um, so that's kind of where I want to talk. And I want to start first with Angel and Cordy. Um, because we have an interesting new dynamic in this episode, um, which, you know, they've been together so long, like in their, you know, I mean, in Buffy, you know, they kind of had their interactions and then they've, this is, we're in the third season now of Angel of they've been working together and it kind of like never really went the direction of like romantic leads that they're going to be like interested in each other, you know? Um, but that seems to be kind of suggested pretty strongly in this episode. Um, sure. And, and, it, and let's not forget that like right off at the very beginning of Buffy, Cordy was very interested in Angel. Sure. So, sure. You know, there's always been that attraction yes. on her part anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, you know, at least on like a purely like physical level, like, you know, I wouldn't say that in Buffy they knew each other well enough to, but like, so I feel like by the time it gets to Angel and they're spending time together, it's sort of just assumed by, I think the audience and by them that we're not going that direction. But like, like you said, why would you assume that? Because maybe there are would have been this attraction if they'd ever let it go that way or if the relationship had developed a different way. Um, and now they are, you know, closer than ever and um, trusting each other even more than they ever have. They're spending all this time, like, training Cordy and everything. Um, you know, and they've been, they've had their their couple spats about things before and got through it. So there's sort of that, the trust that it builds of getting through tough times and some betrayals together and everything. Um, so it's kind of interesting how, you know, Fred is very um, keyed into that side of things, you know, I think more so than some of the other characters, like, you know, they all kind of have this, Oh, we're friends. We work together attitude. And then Fred comes along and suddenly like, it's just, you know, she's looking through those lenses at all of the relationships. So she turns up and gets a crush on Angel, you know, and then, okay, she kind of finds out for the reasons why that's not going to go anywhere. That doesn't necessarily take away the crush, but she sort of understands a bit more of, you know, what the situation is like. But then you're also getting, you know, these other hints of, okay, now Wesley might have some feelings for her and okay, stuff intervenes and we don't pursue that at least right, not right away, but mm-hmm. there's that possibility. And now we kind of see her looking at Angel and Cordy in a way that they, none of them have considered even Angel and Cordy haven't considered. Yeah. But it's that kind of thing of once she says it, the, I, the seed's been planted and the idea is there. Um, you know, and at least for Angel, at least for Angel, right, is because that's who she, you know, says it to and everything. So it's right. kind of funny to have like characters that have been sort of 
working together in a professional and friendship context for two years. And suddenly Fred comes along and just sort of assumes that, oh, we should all be together, right? <laughs> like, you know, that seems to kind of be the way that she, you know, and part of that is probably because she doesn't have the history that the rest of them have. Like, right. you know, um, yeah, you know, she, she's a new lens through right. which to look. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause I didn't even think of two, you know, it's just hitting me too that Cordy and Wesley might've gone that direction way back in Buffy and, you know, kind of found their own stumbling block, you know? So there are all these potential romantic relationships in the group that never went anywhere. Um, and I feel like Fred is an interesting thing because she's sort of, you know, giving all those different relationships opportunities to maybe come a little bit more to the surface. Um, so yeah. So it's funny with Angel. Um, it's tough to say, like, it does he start acting goofy because she planted the seed or is she pointing out something that's really there that he just hadn't really ever consciously right. noticed or thought about? Um, yeah. You know? Good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't have an answer to that, obviously. Um, yeah, and there may not be any, like it might be a bit of both, bit right? Of both, like, right. I mean, it's hard hard to say necessarily what you know would have happened or would not have happened on their own, um, if left to it. But yeah, there's definitely like once you point it out, it's like that thing of once. Once you see something, you can't unsee it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, now Fred has pointed out this, you know, corruption, right. you know, thing between uh, the two of them. And and it is, so what I find interesting, too, is that it's not that unlike the Buffy and Angel thing. Because what is corruption? It's about you know, fighters and heroes meeting on a battlefield, right? So it's, mm -hmm. which is where Buffy and Angel kind of started, was not antagonists, but, you know, like sort of the first time they're meet, it's in a dark alley and, you know, Buffy's throwing him around and they're kind of sparring and stuff. You know what I mean? So there's... Right, well, and it starts out as like, you know, Slayer and Vampire. So even if they're not directly antagonist it's kind of like they should be um like right. according to the rules of you know the world and everything um yeah so but that perspective too of fred's is is of cordy as a hero mm -hmm. as a fighter as you know someone who's fighting the good fight which I feel like even now, like as viewers, like external viewers, we're, we still don't necessarily see Cordy that way. Like we can look at her and appreciate her growth, but I don't think any of us thinks of Cordy as a champion, as a mm. fighter in the way that Fred does. So it's, it's a similar kind of thing where you're bringing in a completely new perspective, you know, that Fred has yeah. that 
that even to the others who are all males, right, aren't looking at Cordy in that way. They're, you know, Cordy's still the weak one, the mm -hmm. one we have to protect, you know, the one who has the visions, but doesn't necessarily go. And, and that's not to say that like, like the past couple episodes, we've seen like Cordy saying, no, no, teach me how to do that. Mm -hmm. But even Cordy to an extent, just by saying, like by admitting that she doesn't know how to fight yet, mm -hmm. is sort of saying like, you know, seeing herself in that way too. But Fred's coming along and seeing like, no, Cordy's like a great hero and and in a way on the same level as Angel. Yeah. You know, simply by using that Chirumption thing, which is supposed to be, I think she says like a greeting between like a a, a recognition between equals, right? Like right. it's it's not something that you know, a greater champion would say to a lesser one or vice versa. Right. right. Yeah, and that's interesting you point out about like Cordy's heroism and stuff because um I feel like it's it's a double-edged thing of in some ways the things that she is sort of celebrated for and acknowledged as her strengths are kind of even those are kind of typically like feminine qualities like it's it's yeah. she's the heart it's her compassion it's her all these things that are like you know not necessarily seen as like the the virtues of like the the heroic warrior champion sure. kind of thing. But so that's, so on the one hand, she's kind of still put in that box of, Oh, you're good at things within the sphere of what we expect you to be good at, but not outside of that. But then sure. I think the other side of that too, is that when you kind of said like, well, she's not thought of as a champion. Like I think in those things that she is good at, she is kind of a champion like to jump ahead slightly like i think of how she immediately um becomes defensive and protective of darla you know it's sort of like cordy's thing now is sure. she see or or that she wants to keep the visions because that's her way to help the you know the suffering in the world like her those you know those kinds of virtues that she has are as like a champion for the weak, you know, yeah. like I'm in her own way. She is as much of like a defender of the helpless as, as Angel is, you know? Um, and maybe they don't like, maybe it's still evolving of, can we see her as a champion outside of those types of ways? But it's not like she's not doing that anyway. Um, yeah. So in that well, way, she is his. She's already his equal, even before you start training with like you know the sword yeah. play and everything. And and there's the practical aspect of she doesn't have Slayer strength, right? Like, you know, so right. she's she's not going to be as good of a fighter as Buffy, at least right. in the same way that Buffy is. So, right. you know, necessarily it's going to her championess is going to have to have a different quality to right. it and right yeah i mean i i agree with you that like it certainly is rooted maybe in stuff that we think of as more feminine and like even i was even thinking like oh there's like her feistiness but like men don't get described as feisty right like <laughs> right. like like sure. even that sort of thing is, is it's a is, gendered idea yeah yeah um yeah so, 
yeah yeah i i agree with you i you know but i think that's why fred's perspective you know both as a new person but also as a woman mm-hmm. see you know is is maybe important there too um, mm-hmm. because it does offer that it and her saying that to angel so it's not even just like recognizing that oh there's there's maybe a little bit of you know tension or feeling or whatever between angel and cordy but that 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 feeling and corruption or love or whatever you want moira you know whatever you want to call it between them is uh rooted in their equalness Hmm. like the equality between them not not just in you know a pretty face or you know whatever or the fact that they happen to be thrown into close circumstances or whatever right that that there's an equalness as heroes between them not not to say that they have the same abilities or you know do the same things but that they're you know they're both level 50 heroes or whatever you want to call it or whatever you know whatever that means you know in each of their personalities um i also want to point out so the one thing that we've talked about with cordy way again like right back to the beginning is her sort of incisiveness and Mm -hmm. um so you get the awkwardness of angel like yeah you know expressing his feeling or whatever and cordy's like are you trying to say you love me (laughs) like right and and granted like it's a bit of a play because you know she's talking about like friendship love you know versus so what what's the uh you you know philos versus right philia or whatever uh, Yeah. yeah uh uh you know, arrows or whatnot, but, right. um, and she's perfectly fine. It's like, of course I love you. Like, like right. there's like, it's not even a secret to her. Like, right. it's not something that she has to like, be, that has to be revealed to her. It's right. just, yeah, of course. Like, why not? I love you too. Yeah. And, and Angel loves me. I love him. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's completely yeah. obvious to her. Like, it's so obvious that you don't even have to say it. Like, right. Um, and then you get like you know Wesley calling back, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and, like, that kind of thing. We love you, so, and you get the chorus of "We love you, Cordy." Like you know, yeah. they're all yeah, yeah. Um, so, so again, it's just that thing of, you know, once more we have like like Cordy just instinctually knows stuff that other people it takes a little more prodding and yeah revelation to they have to have it pointed out to them, and they have to sort yeah. of stumble around it for a while. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, which, of course, enter Darla to, you know, screw up the happy feelings, you know, um. Right, just, just when people are starting to feel good about themselves and each other. And each other, yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, uh. Cordy's like this isn't the first time but um you know how hard Cordy takes it when Angel 
betrays her and betrays the group. And, you know, that's happened a few times, you know, and here we are again, like, you know, Angel, you know, violating promises that he made and, and, you know, lying to her about things and, uh, you know, not trusting her to the extent that she, you know, wants or expects him to, or that the extent that he could, you know, um, mm. So, yeah, and, and, and like her specifically, like, I mean, maybe that's support for the idea of them having a, a more uh, special relationship, even within the group, but like of all of them, you know, it's, it's really Cordy that takes that, you know, as like a personal betrayal, not because they're committed to each other in a relationship, but just because... You know, right. you're a friend who looked me in the eye and lied. Um, and, sure. and you know, and about something so important and so dangerous, you know, because Cordy, again, is the one who's been around when he's been Angelus. So she's really the one who yeah. knows them enough to be really worried about that. And this is not something you fool around with. Um, sure. So, uh yeah, and it's an interesting flip how quickly to go along with her kind of champion thing, how quickly she flips from, you know, uh, her loyalty to Angel to, you know, no longer thinking of Darla as like the evil vampire, but like a pregnant woman who needs help and who's right. like just been victimized, knocked up and uh, abandoned by Angel, like who needs to be sort of, you know, uh, you know, rescued and taken care of and everything. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm trying to think of um, where to go next. Well, I mean, let's talk about Darla. Sure. The pregnancy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so obviously not a surprise to us as viewers. Right. Because um, we've seen her you know at the shamans and at the you know bar and whatnot um big surprise to angel mm -hmm. and team um so yeah on the one hand so one of the things that that i was thinking about this time around watching it is like and i don't know that i've ever sort of thought of it on this level before but like you're just talking about like cordy and sort of the hurt that she feels not you know again not because she's in a relationship with angel per se but one of the things they don't really address specifically is that like at the time that angel and darla did their thing uh you know, Angel says it was a bad, like it was a dark time for me. And so, so this is the height of when he was off on his own, you know, he had fired everyone and like they formed their own Angel Investigations team, right? And like he's off doing his thing, sort of shunning them. Mm -hmm. So like I, you have to wonder too, like how much of the anger that they're feeling is is just a reminder of mm. of what Angel did to them at the time. Like it's like it's not even necessarily about the fact that he slept with Darla and mm. now there's this baby. 
but that it's it's a physical reminder and you could almost see like i mean you can certainly i'm trying to think of like a real world analogy but like you know something where you could see like maybe in certain cases a child who is like a reminder to one or the other parent of a bad relationship you know mm-hmm. that they had been in before and that kind of thing and so so there is like now this like physical reminder of this time when angel betrayed the team and and went off and did his own thing not right. not by sleeping with darla but just the broader time of his own being off on his own and right and not really respecting the team that they had built together Right. It, it's a, it's not quite the same and it's not like a perfect one-to-one analogy, but I almost thought of in, in Game of Thrones or, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire, the way, you know, Catelyn Stark's, you know, ongoing hatred for Jon Snow of like, sure. it goes beyond any reasonable relation to anything about Jon Snow himself. It's more right. that he's this, this physical evidence of the betrayal of her husband you know and that's the the reminder of that kind of resentment or is whether whether (laughs) that's true or not yes exactly um (laughs) yes hopefully we haven't spoiled the like you know 15 year old books for the world but um, we don't we don't we don't don't really know anyway um but uh but that HBO series notwithstanding. Yes. Um, but that is, I think that is probably, you're right. That's part of it is like, yeah, it's more about what, what he, it's more about the root of his betrayal in the first place than it is about like the actual thing itself. Um, you know, and the bigger implications of him going rogue not trusting them doing really reckless and dangerous things like it's all kind of about those bigger ideas that you know of what he did um so yeah so we are kind of getting and we still don't really know the answers to these questions at the end of the episode but throughout we're getting exploration of these kind of two mysteries i would say of um one, what what is the baby and how can it be? Because we're told that vampires can't conceive babies. So trying to figure out why this happened or what it means or what kind of baby it is is sort of, you know, and, you know, the the uh, corollary to that of, of Darla saying, what is it and how do I stop it? You know, so she's kind of also right. looking for like a solution to this problem, not just... Not just what is it, but how can we make it go away? Um, and then uh, the other one parallel to that being the exploration of this new prophecy. Um, mm. And which may or may not refer in part or in whole to, you know, the baby that Darla's carrying. Um, right. You know, so we don't really know. I mean, correlation and causation, you know, like, okay they seem to line up of, all right, there's this, you know, uh, dark thing that's coming. It seems like it's supposed to arrive now. And Hey, Darla just showed up with like some sort of 
unidentified demon spawn, like that seems like a likely candidate for that. Um, but as always, the prophecy is, you know, vague and unclear and, you know, Fred and Wesley find the same kind of, uh, ambivalent language that they did in the last one of like, okay, does it mean live or die? Does it mean like scourge or purify? Like, you know, there's these like contradictory ideas buried within the same, mm -hmm. you know, pieces of like ancient scroll and everything. Um, yeah. And like, you know, even before they find, even before Darla shows up, Fred makes a reference to like, oh, well, it should have shown up last March. So that can't be it. And, you know, you're kind of like, oh, well, that's probably like the conception, you know, like, so, you know, there might be things that it's referring to that you don't necessarily know yet what all it means. Um, yeah. And so just time wise, um, this episode aired in November. <laughs> so March would be about the right time. Seems about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of figured that that was a little sly reference to it, but I don't know that they ever put that together. Um, right. You know, they kind of mentioned in passing, oh, well, it should have been here last March, so obviously we have our dates wrong. But it's a case of they don't know that they're onto something because um, they don't have all the information yet. Um, yeah. But, so yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like until... And then, I mean, we'll get back to the, the Holt stuff at the end of, does it refer to the baby at all? Maybe it is just a coincidence and it has nothing to do with, you know, like the thing that's arising has nothing to do with the baby. But um, it, at least from where they're sitting, it's the likeliest sort of candidate. Um, so they're kind of sitting around trying to decide like how evil this baby might or might not be. Um yeah. Sorry, I just had to look up the episode timing real quick. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the episode in which Darla and Angel uh, conceive their child is Epiphany, which is uh, at the end of February. So okay. not quite not quite March, but like, Close it, like the timing is, yeah, just about right there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Just, I was curious, so I had to look that up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so, in addition to all that, we get some other evidence just from, you know, the way it's sort of affecting Darla of, you know, it's, I mean, how kind of seemingly it makes her, like, you know, very like weak and sick and all this stuff, but it also is giving her this like super strength right. and everything. Um, super and mom power, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and, but in a very non maternal way, is making her crave the blood of pure, the purest beings she can get. So she's sort of out, you know, um, seeking, you know, little kids at like arcades and everything. Um, which Angel sort of concludes has to do with the fact that, you know, she's craving pure blood because the baby has a soul. Um, and so 
like, I guess that there's like some sort of hunger for purity, not just like, you know, it can't be anything like tainted or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. So the idea seems to be, at least the conclusion Angel comes to, is that the baby has a soul. Mm -hmm. Which, again, going back to Holtz in the flashback, talking about Angel not having soul and can't be saved. Mm. So, I mean, without, like, sort of avoiding it, I know we want to talk about Holtz at the end because, hey, he shows up again. But, like, this is this is the central conceit, right? Like we know Angel and Darla killed Holtz's family. Now Angel has a family, mm. but Angel also has a soul and his son has a soul. So does that, is that going to change the dynamic and mm. what Holtz is looking for? Or has Holtz become so intent on revenge and, in his own way, sort of vampire-like or demon-like, mm -hmm. that he, you know, is going to ignore all that and continue his pursuit because it doesn't matter. Right. And so that that's sort of the, I think, the question that we're being sort of prompted to ask or, mm -hmm. you know, the set of questions we're being prompted to ask, um, you know, around what does it, you know, and I mean, this isn't the first time, certainly, that we've sort of explored the idea of what does it mean to have a soul. But now we're we're sort of extending that to like the innocence as well of like a new life and mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. And and the knowledge that in a previous life, uh, you know, the father and the mother, you know, did some horrific things. And does having a little one change you? in that way um right and how does it change you because i mean we've all heard stories of people who have done terrible things maybe as teenagers or young adults or whatever but then they have their own children and turn their lives around and whatever and like is it so you know there's that question of does that erase the things they did well no mm -hmm. no of course not but like is there a different perspective to look at them from? And I mean, a lot of the times, yeah, there, there definitely is. And, you know, how much, how much should, you know, those sins be visited on the children kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, sins of the father, so to speak. Um, right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, and... I feel like that's where we're sort of being prompted to yeah. look at. Yeah. And Darla, even, you know, as the one who is more pure vampire without the soul, even seems like aware of that in, uh, you know, um, you know, I kind of get the idea that like, yes, yeah, she wants to like get rid of the baby for her own reasons because she doesn't want it. She wants it gone and out of her and whatever, but also like you in a oddly maternal way, like you get that some of that is, concern for the baby like she has like lines about like 
mm. oh, why would anyone bring in bring a life into this world? Like almost in a way that suggests of sure. I'm aware that the world is terrible and evil and I don't want to inflict that on a baby, which is uh, oddly human. Like that's a kind of like, that's a concern for something other than herself. You know, that's mm. about worry for the, the, the baby and not just, um, you know, not being totally uh, self-focused about it, I guess. Um, yeah. Like that even seems empathetic in a in a particular kind of way of sure. thinking about what's best for the life, you know, the, the of the baby and everything, um, you know, and and her even like her kind of breakdown, like her emotional breakdown over the idea that it has a soul, like like, and we don't, it's not like we have a big long therapy session I don't quite know wh why you know she you know breaks down quite the way she does but like it seems like there's something about that that is like you know difficult for her to come to grips like almost like it would be easier if it was just a soulless demon but like right oh it has a soul it's, it's an actual it's, innocent life it's going to be more like his father <laughs> or its father or whatever, right yeah Right. Yeah. Hence the, hence the devastation. Um, but like, you know, okay. Uh, why is that? Like, you know, Angel says it has a soul and she's kind of like, no, no, it can't. No, it's like, she like wants to deny that. And, you know, um, why is that? Is that because does she feel more, compassion or worry for it if it does have a soul does she feel more responsibility for it um you know does it make it harder to just discard entirely and dismiss as this you know little demonic thing that can just sort of go off or do whatever um sure. i don't i mean i don't know um so yeah. So yeah, so for the time being, uh, she's with them and they're gonna, you know, they kind of have a close eye on her because she's certainly not trustworthy around them. Um, but they're, you know, Angel will be the supportive father. They're at least gonna try to take care of her, you know, and, you know, not sort of kick her out on her own, you know. Yeah. Until this baby comes. And they, then I guess we shall see, you know, what kind of baby it turns out to be. Right. Yeah. I suppose we will. And I think at that some point they point this out, I forget who, but uh, just because it has a soul doesn't necessarily mean it's not the thing in the prophecies like it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be purely good either you know there's still the possibility of you know i yeah. don't know you could have a little billy in there or something like you know it could be some sort of <laughs> like we don't know you know we won't know. Sure. like all we know at this point is that it seems to have a soul but 
does that mean it has nothing to do with the prophecy or that it won't be the scourge of mankind? We don't necessarily know that either. Um, right. Well, but then there's also, you know, Fred's comments about, you know, screw destiny. Yeah. Like, so, so what if there's a prophecy? Like, does that, you know, this is the classic free will versus predestination, mm -hmm. you know, conversation. Because just because there's a prophecy that says what we don't even really know just that something is coming yeah like that's literally all we know about prophecy that right. something something is coming which is always true yes and and something scary but scary how scary for what for whom right you know like all of those things and Maybe it applies to Angel. Maybe it applies to Angel's offspring. Maybe it applies to something else altogether. Like, again, like there's, you know, it, classic, you know, mm -hmm. Shakespearean prophecy style, you know, Shakespearean style prophecy that we just don't know how to interpret it. And right, it could be any or all or none of these things um, right. Right. that we're talking about. So, right. and, and. Again, like even Angel kind of says, not in the sort of, you know, declarative way that Fred does, but Angel's like, oh, you know, do you know how many prophecies like this that I've seen in my lifetime? Well, three. Three. But none of them ever really, like, came Ended the world. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you have to kind of take all these prophecies with a grain of salt. Yeah. Is sort of the message there, I think. Right, right. Um yeah, and I think the other thing you learn from Shakespeare is that there's no surer way to bring about a prophecy you don't want than try everything in your power to avoid the prophecy coming true. You know, like part of it is, like you said, something's always coming. So do your best, do the right thing in the situation and things will sort of, you know, kind of work themselves out in a way like if you treat the baby like the demon spawn you think it is, how's the baby going to respond? You know what I mean? Like, you could end up making something into the scourge of mankind that it didn't have to be if you weren't sort of already kind of self-prophesying that it would go that way. Um, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I liked the line too about uh, just like the shanshu thing that ruination might also mean purification so again right these 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 words that mean different things in different contexts or mean different things to different people you know one person a, a, an event that purifies one person can ruin another and which side are we on well we don't know like you know it could be the ruination of one of our enemies like a villain you know and the purification of you know, I don't know, Angel or yeah. who, whoever, or Darla or whatever, you know, it doesn't, it's not, like you said, it's not even necessarily a prophecy that something bad is ha going to happen, just that something is coming. Um, right. And maybe which side you're on depends on your actions in the moment. So, you know, don't assume that something is inevitable, as, you know, Fred says. Uh, just say you're evitable instead. Okay.
before we finish off with Holtz, is there, oh no, first I wanted to talk about the rest of the the gang. Do we have anything for Wesley and Gunn and Fred and Lorne um, that doesn't have to do with the main plot? Um, actually, I think the most obvious is Lorne, so I'm going to start there. Um, okay. He's, I mean, we get a few, he kind of contributes some stuff to the whole prophecy, you know, discussion, but, um, you know, uh, one important point is that he is, he snapped himself out of his little, you know, mopey phase and is now redecorating and, you know, fixing up Caritas. So, um, he's sort of, you know trying to get back into his normal routine and, you know, being the host again and everything. Um, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, good to see. Yeah. Uh, Although, you know, maybe he shouldn't have quite kicked out the Furies and the rest of them before all of the, the spells were back up. Sure. Considering what happens between Darla and Cordy there. That's true. You know, I hadn't even thought of that. I that that totally sailed by me, but you're right. You're right. Um well, yeah. you know, and that's part of the host is it's he he is that they come to him for help and he drops everything to help them. He is that kind of giver, you know, and it's like yeah, in that moment maybe he should have insisted that they wait a few minutes until he finished, you know, what he was in the middle of doing. Um, so has he learned his lesson about not being a doormat? Maybe not. (laughs) Sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, good to see him like back part of the team and, you know, sort of getting moving past of like, you know, the trauma of what happened and everything. It was good. And the line about this is beyond my Ken and my Barbie and everything was, you know, funny. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So just little things for Wesley and Fred and Gunn. Um, they didn't go too much into Wesley's guilt over what happened in the last episode with Fred, but there's like little hints about it. Like he kind of is protective sure. of her, like tells Angel, like, don't yell at her. And, you know, like. He's, you know, now, like, very sensitive to anybody being mean to Fred. Um, And, um, you know, like, funny little things of how overzealous he gets with his, like, Mission Impossible, like, gadgetry, I'm going to break into the house, you know? And, of course, it's, like, just gun is so sort of practical and straightforward and just just sort of walks. checks the patio door. Oh, it's unlocked. And he, like, isn't even quiet about, like, closing the door, like... He sort of just lets it like slam, like, you know, he's not worried about the secrecy and everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of all yeah, I, I don't, have I don't, really. Um, I don't know that we get much more. Yeah, I mean, they're all like, gun. they're all like helpful with you know, figuring out the prophecy of like, you know, Wesley and Fred working together to translate 
the scrolls and, you know, all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, and you mentioned Fred's big, you know, uh, destiny speech and everything. Um, but I think that's kind of all I have for them. All right. Cool. So in the last minute, I think we kind of talked around it, so I don't know that there's too much more to say, but Holt shows up. He's been sleeping, I guess, as a statue for however long, a couple hundred years, give or take. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so just in time for this prophecy that something is coming, he's being sort of awoken under the, you know, in the sewers of L.A., um, and has, you know, one thing on his mind, like, you know, where is he, you know, so instantly, you know, he's, you know, presumably been waiting all this time so that he can continue his quest against Angel and everything. So uh, is he the thing that is arising? Maybe. We'll yeah. find out. <laughs> Anything could, else? Could Am I overlooking any important like mythology points or anything? Uh, no, nah, I don't think so. I think I think we've covered everything. We kind of, I mean, it's sort of a cliffhangery. Yes. Uh, ending there, so. Yeah. We'll we'll have to see next time. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, by next time I mean in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving on mm -hmm. to resistance. So we've got our, you know, what now, fifth, fourth episode of Ty at the helm, <laughs> and everything's just really gone to pot. Like, it's going super well. Um, yeah. yeah, this is, I was just checking, yeah, this is number four of the season, so yeah. Um, yeah, the, as Lee said, we're still in the honeymoon phase, but like Ty did really well for like two episodes and then the last two have just been, you know, a, a rapid fall from his pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, where to begin? Because like... Now, yeah, like, now we've gone from, like, sort of the kind of funny things of, like, him asking Billy why he's not in the brig to now, um, you know, he's full-on, like, interrogating his own people. Hmm. Right? So you have Tyrrell, who just got back. I know. You have to imagine Tyrrell's Cobol. like, thank God I'm back. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Right. Just got back from Cobol. Had no idea what has been going on mm -hmm. about, you know, Adama and Boomer and whatnot. So he's walking into complete blind, you know, being blindsided here. Uh, and yeah, apparently is being interrogated. So, and not only that, he's being interrogated, but like, it's martial law. So mm -hmm. he has no constitutional rights. Right. No, you know, he can be slapped around without mm -hmm. any, you know, repercussions, mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, so, yeah. 
so Ty, uh, this is this is Ty as Marshall leader. Mm -hmm. um, and he's really doing a bang up job of it. Uh, <laughs> Kind of, kind of, you know. All right, so he slaps, slaps uh, uh, Tyrrell around a bit, and then you know sends him off to the brig with um, Boomer, mm -hmm. and then he starts hearing about the various uprisings that are going on in the fleet. You know, the refusals to send supplies, and you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, apparently there's insurrection and stuff around this declaration of martial law and, you know, the fuel ship refusing to refine any more fuel and all of that. Um, which Ty responds to surprisingly well at first. Yeah. Because, like, then he goes back. It's like, okay, maybe it's time to sit down and think about things for a minute. Yeah. And so he tries to go do that. But then there's Ellen right there. Yeah. Always at the ready to goad him sort mm -hmm. of into actions that maybe he shouldn't be taking. So Yeah, and um in that in that first scene I think when she's first before they really start like fighting when she's kind of doing her like more gentle like well if you wanna do this but Bill wouldn't do that when it's kind of still in that phase. She they have like you know whoever picked out the costumes they have her in this kind of pink dress which like i get a very strong like number six vibe from her there of like you know like she looks very similar to the kinds of manipulation and goading that six does with baltar of like you know kind of simultaneously prop up and tear down ty's ego to get him to do whatever she wants him to do um you know which of course he responds to um you know all it takes is her suggestion that he's a weak leader you know to get him to you know clamp down even harder on you know all of his commands and declarations and everything yeah well and the fact that it's it's moving out beyond the galactica now right, right? like you know there's an escalation there of all right, it's his ship, and so, like, he's in control of the people on it. But now it's like, okay, you know, there's this creeping sense of, like, now there's a threat of not having enough supplies to, you know, go where he needs to go, feed the people who he needs to feed, you know, and all this stuff. And so, I mean maybe justifiably in his own mind like this is this constitutes you know an ability to go ahead and quote be proactive i guess about right. it you know like um yeah to just go out and sort of force the issue but you know now we're back to so he sends out you know marines like and apparently like he doesn't just like apparently want to like make an example like he doesn't pick like the most important thing like maybe the fuel mm. and say like all right you're gonna give us more fuel and send like a group of marines there to like deal with that issue and then 
you know, say to the rest of them, now, do you see what I just did? Like, right. I'll do that to you if you don't comply as well. Right. But apparently he sends out, like, a bunch of groups and has to use, like, pilots as leaders, which apparently they're not good at, except for maybe, like, Lee and Starbuck every now and then. But, like... Right. You know... Like, yeah, like, maybe there's one or, or... There's one or two pilots that have, like, command experience, but most of them, it's, like, literally they know how to fly a plane. You know, right. and they're not used to, like... Right. and you can imagine that there are a bunch of crash downs basically for sure like yeah as far as command experience and and ability goes right so like we get you know the the anecdotal example of you know getting coffee um with currently they have a ship for coffee um <laughs> i mean i i guess it must have been like other stuff they were getting from it but you know sure. so they're getting supplies from the ship you know there's kind of a riot starting, but I mean, it's mostly peaceful and it seems like someone accidentally shoots. Like it doesn't right. seem like it starts out intentionally shooting into a crowd, but right. Right. No, somebody gets know, one, spooked and, and a trigger gets pulled, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, but then once that happens, more people start shooting and then yep. suddenly there's four people dead and now it's whatever. And like, you know, Ty is surprised by this. And to his credit, I guess, like, seems appalled by it. Mm. But again, you have the situation of Ty sort of wrongfully blaming someone else for his command decision. Like, mm -hmm. and and at least at least we have Coddle, right? Who is around to say, <laughs> I like you, there. You, you idiot, what did you expect to happen? You sent... Yeah you know, Marines and to collect coffee and like untrained ones at that and not enough of them, yeah. you know, like, like how are the many ways that I can point out that you did something stupid here? Um, but Ty doesn't really like for as much as like, even later in the episode where like Adama, once he comes back, talks about like, you know, he doesn't trust anyone who's ever held the command and the pressure and this and that. Like, Ty doesn't seem to be accepting, you know, the problems that are in accordance with his position. Because he, mm. like, he blames underlings. Mm. And, like, you know, did, did anyone tell you to shoot? Well, well, no, but you weren't there. And, yeah, you know, whatever. Like... Yeah, like, it might sound ridiculous the way it's being told, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, like, Ty did order it, and and yet he's sort of blaming, you know, these Marines or whatever for for the problems when when yeah. they weren't the ones. They're not the ones who declared martial law. They're not the ones who ordered, you know, themselves to go get this coffee. Like, right. these are all issues that are Ty's making. Um, right, right. So... Yeah. Right. Well, and uh, it's that it's that kind of view of um, that particular view of leadership, which is that like strong leadership means never backing down, never admitting you were wrong, never changing your mind, doubling down on your decisions that you've been made, you know, um, which like, I understand that it's part of it, you know, because Adama says later about you you have to, and he said that before, like, 
it, it you can't spend all your time second guessing. Like you have to sort of do what what you feels like the right thing and kind of commit. But at the same time, yeah. you know, I don't know that that's exactly his view of like you know. There's a difference between Ty and Adama, you know, because Adama at yeah. least thinks long and hard about his decisions before he makes them. Whereas Ty sort of reacts sure. emotionally and spontaneously and from a place of, you know, anger or ego or whatever. And then, you know, with a little goading from Ellen, his position is, you know, what I want, when I want it. And that's it. And the end of discussion. And if anything goes wrong, it's because you all screwed up, not because my decisions were bad to begin with. Um, you know, which is kind of like what, it, you know, I don't know if that's the definition of like a dictator, but it certainly seems like the type of leadership that dictators have of, you know, um, it's that kind of themselves at the center. It's about propping themselves up. It's not about how do I serve the people under me and do right by them. It's yeah. about what do you all owe me because I'm in charge and, you know. Right. Um, you know, and all his things about like, well, you know, you know, Cylons don't have rights. And, you know, when he says to Baltar, like, I declared martial law, so you're nobody. Like, all that kind of belittling of all the people, they have no value around mm -hmm. him if he says they don't. You know, even taking away their their rights, but their humanity and, you know, um, you know, things, reality is as he sort of dictates it to be and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I know I put Adam at the end, but I want to talk about him now. Oh, because okay. because like yeah. Here's the problem. Yes. I just don't. I just don't get what Adama sees in Ty. <laughs> like. Sure. Sure. You know, like the whole thing at the end of. Oh, you know, I don't trust anyone who hasn't held command and stuff like. Okay, on the one hand, I kind of get that. Like, uh -huh. they don't understand the pressure. You may call it affects lives of thousands, and you have no one to turn for backup. Okay. But, like, Ty seems to do everything wrong. And, like, <laughs> and now, again, okay, Ty is like, I never wanted to be in command. But then why are you in second command? Right. Like, what What motive? Like, this is, this is the exception that proves the rule that the people who should have command don't want it. Mm. Like, Ty doesn't want it, and he should not have it. Like, there's no reason why right. Colonel Ty should ever be put in command and or put in a position where he might possibly be put in command. Right. And... You know, again, like, I don't agree with Adama, you know, going in and, and picking up Roslyn and sending Ty to be the one to do it. Mm -hmm. But, like, I also don't think that he would have let it get to this level of mm -hmm. cra craziness and declaring martial law and all of that. Um, and as much as you can say about 
Ellen egging Ty on and doing whatever. Like, at the same time, there's nothing that she says that Ty doesn't want already. Yeah. And, like, which is partly, I think, why she says it. Because she knows he wants it and just sort of needs a little stroking to get him. Yes, he's very easily... Uh, manipulated and and goaded into these things. Um, yeah, she doesn't. What she says may be instigating things, but she doesn't necessarily say anything that isn't really true about him, you know, and about what he yeah. really wants and how he, you know, uh, how she can kind of, you know, sort of lead him into those things and everything. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good question about, like, I don't really have, like, a good answer other than, you know, I think Ty is the most extreme example where you kind of find yourself scratching your head going, all right, what are the great qualities that are, you know, that you're seeing here? But, you know, but I think we have been told from the beginning that Adama does have some soft spots that are blind spots even for certain people, you know, again, I think Ty is the hardest one to sort of justify because, you know, okay, Starbuck gets away with a lot, but she's also super competent in a way that I don't know that Ty is. Sure. Um, so, you know, is it just a case of, you know, best friends maybe shouldn't command together? Like, you know, that he's, and like, Adama comes in and is like exonerating him for things that he doesn't even know what he's done yet. You know? Right. Like Ty's like, I fracked stuff up and Adama's like, I fracked stuff off all the time. And it's like, okay, but no, you need to hear what's going on because this is like, you know, a little bit, you know, beyond the pale, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, and, yeah. Anyway, and, I and, don't... and there's a thing, too, of I want to question even some of what Adama says to him about, like, like the line about, um, you know, you have no one to turn to for backup. And it's like, OK, that might be literally true in the sense that you're the only one in command. And so you have to call the shots without anybody else's authority ahead of you. But I don't think it's true that they have nobody for backup. He's got a whole battle star full of people for backup a lot of whom are making it pretty plain how they wish he would be doing things you know like it's not exactly subtle when you have like lee like you know okay yeah he's being kind of snide about it but like there's somebody you can turn to for backup in terms of like trying to validate is this a good idea or not you know, or countless other people. All the we talked about last week, it was Ty versus his own crew. You know, so you have your crew trying to say, like, are you sure you want to do this? This seems like a bad idea. And if you don't listen to them, then of course you're alone. Um, yeah. You know, so I think that kind of doesn't acknowledge. That's making it sound like it's this lonely position in the wilderness that shoulders the burden of humanity when you have all these other people whose job it is to support you and like, and you're going to just completely ignore them. And, and who would be happy and willing to do so if you did a good job at commanding 
Yeah, if you let and, them help. And, yeah, yeah. And didn't make stupid decisions. And right. All that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, look back at, like, the, the COBOL situation of, like, okay, we found some sympathy with, with Crashdown, but also, like, was Crashdown... Did he have no one to turn to for God? No, he had people. He had the chief. He had, you know, he had even Baltar, you know, and he could have listened to them, you know, when he didn't. Right. And that's on him. And so for Adama to kind of paint it as you're this sort of lone figure, you know, who's totally like on his own, I think is just simply not true, you know, or if that's your position, then you're kind of, Again, putting yourself up on this pedestal that I don't know that is necessarily like totally accurate. Um, yeah. So yeah. All right. Well. Anyway, uh, we should talk about Lee. Yeah. And that stuff. Because, well, so, you know, again, like, <laughs> talk about making bad decisions on Ty's part. Like, this whole, like, deal that he has worked out with Lee about he'll let him, like, command when he's out. But, you know, so long as he doesn't, like, so insurrection. <laughs> So what is what does Lee go and do? <laughs> he sows so some insurrection. Um, yeah, I mean, again, not the sharpest thing maybe that Ty could have done. Mm -hmm. um, not that I necessarily dislike the result because, like, now we you know have some good resistance, as the episode title is called. Um, you know, against. Yeah, uh, the stupid stuff that Ty is doing, but yeah, yeah. Like, it, really well, not the sharpest thing he could have done, especially now that like the immediate crisis is passed of like right. you know the Cylons and and rescuing people on Cobalt and whatnot. Like, why? Excuse me. Why is Lee still out? You know doing that kind of stuff mm. at this point doesn't really make sense and not just in the break you mean right like why why is he out and about at all at this point right like what is there for him to command right doesn't does i, I mean we don't really see him doing anything other than just sort of being in the cic and you well, know. there's the one scene of him, like, giving, like, a briefing to the pilots. So I imagine he's in command of the pilots. But but there's not, like, right, a crisis. But, so do they really need him at that moment? Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, like when Ty took him out of the brig and made this deal, there was a crisis. Right. And so now there's not. So, like... Right. Like, it doesn't seem like you need Lee to command, to do, like, everyday command kind of stuff. Right. Well, and I think that kind of goes along with, like, the fickleness of, of Ty's dictatorship of, like, it's the same thing as with Billy as, like, why aren't you in the break? But I also don't care enough to put you in the break. Like, it's sort of right. like the people who I'm annoyed at go in the break, and if they're not doing anything, then I don't 
like it's like it's not even like he cares enough to really follow up on it or be consistent. It's just sort of, well, you're doing your job, so I guess you're fine for now, you know. Um, but I don't think it's like that well thought through. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, but with with the more uh, issues of you know. Uh, insurrection and now violence among the fleet, like in in the civilian ships and everything. Yeah, it's lucky for Apollo that he can get out because he and Roslyn decide that they need to get off the ship. Um, right. Yeah, so you get the little well, and the little plot, you know, the little conspiracy that he goes and finds different people to sort of help in different ways. Yeah. Right, and again, so it's all it's all Lee. Lee's the one who's sowing the insurrection, and it's mm-hmm. it's Lee's idea. It's you know he's having these conversations with Duala that are sort of like innocent conversations, but like really sort of like intelligence updates on mm-hmm. the situation with like, and of course, you know, I mean, she's a communications officer, so she hears right. everything, right? right? Like this is someone who you want to have spying for you. Um, yeah. Well, and they, they keep having scenes of her. You you can see, like, um, her just pummeling him with all the paperwork that, you know, like, in the beginning, it was sort of like he asks questions about, what am I signing? But by now, it's like he's just signing mm-hmm. stuff. Like, you know, she puts right. a piece of paper in front of him and he signs off on it without even looking. So the kind of power that she wields, that she can, like, you know, get them resources or close down sections of the ship, you know, that are supposedly for maintenance, you know, that she can kind of like Uh, do those little things to. And, and notice that it's Causeway B again. So this is the same, I believe Causeway, Mm -hmm. isn't it? That, uh, where the, where they crashed. The Cylon. Right. Came in. Yeah. Uh, to blow up the, um, the water thing that was left open. Oh, right. right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. I've forgotten that. Which we suspect, but aren't entirely sure if it was Boomer or not, who was the one who did that. But that was the whole... Right. That was what led led to, you know, the falling out between Boomer and Tyrrell and that kind of thing. So now we have, you know, apparently Causeway B is like a main way to get around or something. (laughs) Like, Like, if you control Causeway B, you know, so goes... Galactica kind of thing. Um, That's funny. Uh, so yeah, so but yeah, so you have like, and not that like I don't think in the beginning when we see sort of Duala and Lee talking, I don't know that like Lee's planning at that point, right. like to have like oh this is how I could get Rosin out if I needed to, but it's kind of that you know staying in touch and and. You know, maybe it's not even D initially like thinking like, oh, I'm going to give him updates on the situation. But maybe it was just one of those things where like they happened to run into each other one time and it was like, you know what? It might be good if the old man's son knew what was going on mm-hmm. because nobody seems to be holding Ty in check. Right. Um, right. And she even says, the, the you know, I wish you were in command. Like... You know, this right. is maybe the only other person in the ship who he can't take control from Ty, but who could maybe present an alternative 
authority to, to tie in some way to kind of try to get things back, you know, under somewhat under control. Um, yeah. And actually, before I forget, you pointed out the, the title resistance, you know, mm. referring, and I feel like this is another, like, um, like some of the others, I can't remember the titles now, but one of those like double meaning ones, because you have, you know, to jump ahead slightly, you have the kind of Caprica resistance of, of the humans that are alive there. Sure. And then sure. you have this little resistance, you know, within the fleet against Ty, you know, so you get, you know, Lee and, and Duala and all these other people like secret, not openly. They're not, it's not a mutiny. It's not a rebellion, but it's, you know, a little, a quiet little conspiracy to sort of spring the president and, you know, resist his sort of, you know, uh, dictatorship and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so things get worse. And so a plan does form and they sort of, you know, go through this convoluted thing where they like involve Dr. Cottle mm -hmm. and the, the guard who has heretofore been helping mm -hmm. Rosalind, like getting her the Kamala extract and sort of showing sympathy for her, mm -hmm. you know, plight um, and, and belief in her as, you know, their savior or whatever. Right. Um, and I, I do, I do kind of like how they play mm -hmm. out like the, you know, guards coming in at midnight and like, putting their hand over her mouth, but it's, you know, to like help her escape. And, right. Right. Um, right. You kind of go kind through of the motions of, um, of something else, but yeah. And, uh, and they even enlist cat, right. The pilot is in that. Or racetrack. I think it's or racetrack. Track. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. Um, right. right. Yeah. She gives them, she yeah. gets them a Raptor and um, know, has some excuse to, you know, to get Lee to go help her with, you know, something mechanical or whatever. And so, uh, uh, yeah. And so they get onto the ship and sort of in the, in the confusion of stuff going on are able to exit Galactica. Um, but then you have like, um uh, uh who who is who's the the viper pilot that uh shoots across their bow there oh hot dog hot dog thank you um man i'm having trouble with names today uh <laughs> yeah so you have like him flying alongside and he does shoot across their bow but i kind of wonder because he was sort of I don't remember if he was exactly the one calling for Lee to like come play cards with them again. Oh, um, right. Right. Yeah. But, but like he was like in that group, like right. you get the sense that like he was one of the ones like, yeah, cause you've seen them playing cards together before. Right. So right. like, you know, like they want Lee back with them, whatever. So ultimately Ty doesn't have them shot out of the sky. But you kind of wonder if he had given the order, if Hot Dog mm. would have, right? You know, like what, what, what would have been? Would Hot Dog have just refused the order and, you know, risked whatever, you know, the wrath of Ty? But 
Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't give the order, so kind of safe for the moment there. Um Yeah, and then you get um so we kind of skipped over Gaeta because mm -hmm. you get like as the plan sort of unfolding, Key and D have a conversation about like Gaeta saw some unlogged calls and you know, mm -hmm. didn't need do you know anything about them? And she kind of pulls the reg answer of no, right. they're you know, right? They're not of course allowed, not. Yeah. So you know, I didn't do that. And then um, when Ty doesn't give you know gives the order to like stand down and sort of allows the raptor to escape, mm -hmm. uh, he's sort of like I'm not entirely clear at that point, like. Like, does he not, like, later he says he couldn't shoot because it was, you know, Lee. It was the old man's son. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, he sort of plays it off, I guess, of, like, they must have had help. So it's more like he's letting them go and avoiding the conflict of shooting down Rosalind and Lee and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But, like, thinking that maybe he has a better chance of finding their you know, whoever it was that helped them there. But mm. but Gaeta Gaeta covers and right. and lies to Ty right. saying, you know, he didn't see any unlogged calls or anything. Um, even though we know that he had spotted them before. Right. Well and spotted them and I think it's clear almost if not a hundred percent, pretty much knows that D was behind it. You know, like doesn't actually say so, but you know, at least that's the implication I get from their earlier conversation is, you know, you know, when she says like, oh, this is against regs and he kind of goes, that's right. As if to say like, okay, don't forget that. Like, right. I'm not going to call you on it, but I'm going to remind you that there, are, you know, that this is the rules and that I'm on to you. Um, but yeah, like when, which I think is an interesting, like, kind of thing of, uh, you know, we don't see the process of the plan being formulated. We just sort of see the them put it into practice, but it's kind of like, okay, when they're, when they have their little resistance, like they, they pick the people who will go along with it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, they're not going to pick Gata because he is that kind of officious. These are the rules. And, you know, I'll remind you of the rule book. Like, maybe he's not the one that they pick to do the kind of underhanded rebellious thing. But when confronted with it, he doesn't rat them out. He, you know, covers sure. for D instead. So which kind of, I think by implication shows that he sort of at least somewhat agreed with what they did. Um, mm. Maybe not enough to get involved, but enough to not sort of, at least not to let D go take the fall for it. Um, you know, yeah. and I think there's other things like there's, I think we've seen moments where in like, especially with Ty and the CIC where D and Gata have covered for each other or shown that kind of camaraderie. And I think it's an echo of, uh, was it in the first episode of the season when they're in the bathroom and she kind of, comforts him about oh it's not your fault and don't beat yourself up about it sure it's sort of yeah. a reversal of that of even though it kind of seems like he's 
it could have seemed like, is he threatening her at first? But in the end, no, he's sort of warning her and, and doesn't sell her out, but covers for her. So they're kind of, you know, against Ty, there's like a little united front there. Um, right. So. Yeah. And which retrospectively, you know, on their bathroom conversation, like maybe he was saying like, you can trust me. And it's not so much about like following rules as like, I'm with you kind of thing. And, sure. you know, but they're each kind of tiptoeing around it. And so. Right. We can't really nobody say comes it. Nobody out and says anything. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that's the most we get. So it's kind of hard to say, you know. Um, right. Right. You know, and I think there is like definitely part of it is that D is the one who's, you know, more willing to be rebellious, whereas Gaeta is the one saying, I understand you're upset, but there are proper channels. Like, I think he does care about proper channels, maybe a little bit more than some of the others. But yeah, that could be his own way of saying, I'm aware of what you're doing, and I'm not gonna, you know, sell you out to Ty. So it kind of implies that he's sort of with her. So yeah. Um, all right. So let's, well, okay. So the, the Raptor escapes and they make it to cloud nine. Is it? Um, I think so. And lo and behold, who takes them in, but Tom's Eric, which is, uh, well, or at least he's the, he's like, the connecting flight, right? Like, so the idea is that now Roslyn, at least, and I mean, Lee with her, I guess, um, are going to have to sort of move about the fleet. And how do they do that? Well, let's find the shady guy who has all the contacts and knows how to get things and people from place to place without records and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, Not that Roslyn likes this situation, but kind of, is forced into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, by virtue of there not being any other options. Um, so yeah. Um, so, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Anything else on, on that whole thing? Yes. Uh, I don't want to forget to mention, uh, that, um, Billy doesn't go along too. Oh, yes. Um, of course. You know, so there's an interesting thing there of uh, Billy supporting them. He, he certainly supports them in terms of helping the plan go off. So it's not just ideological, like he actually helps them. Um, but there seems to be for him some sort of line between helping them and actually like participating in like bringing about, you know, perhaps like a civil war within the fleet. Um so, yeah, which Se- seems like a really thin line. It seems a slightly, there. slightly like, thin line, but um, but I think for apart from how much sense it makes, I think it's consistent. Like we've seen Billy as um a sort of like conscience, I guess, for Rosalind of like you know. 
like there's was it at the end of the last season where like he sort of still supports her but also kind of chastises her for what she did like of you know sending starbuck away and everything and it seems kind of part of that of like okay mm -hmm. i support you on the one hand but on the other hand i'm the guy within your own staff who's here to sort of like keep you honest maybe or like have like lines in the sand that i hold to even though she crosses them <laughs> it's like he doesn't you know so i don't know right. what kind of symbolic weight to put to that but like yeah he has these sort of ideological things that um in a way there's something similar to kind of what we we're talking about with gata there of like I support the idea of what you're doing, but also I believe in proper channels, you know, and like there are maybe according to his own thinking, this is, you know, different in a way that basic like resistance that we've done so far hasn't been, yeah. you know, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I don't know how, you know, much sense it actually makes, but like, I can see that he has some sort of idea that this is a different sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, to talk about Tyrrell, we already kind of mentioned him a little bit with mm -hmm. the whole Thai torturing him thing. So, um, yeah, again, poor Tyrrell coming back from like yeah kind of the crabbiest excursion to cobalt ever yeah yeah his um, very bad day continues uh, and and now he's interrogated slapped around thrown in the brig and not just thrown in the brig but thrown in the brig with the murderous cylon who is his former lover right um <laughs> <laughs> so it's when you say it that way, it sounds kind of like a soap opera. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you get um, you get him being put in into the you know brig with Boomer, and um, she's like trying to tell him like well like first he's like don't say anything to me, don't look at me, you know if you fart in my direction, I'll kill you. Um, she's all like, but I love you, um, and whatnot. Um, but things get really interesting when Baltar comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, now before this, we had had Baltar and Callie had sort of a confrontation. Right. So Callie's like, oh, you know, hey, remember back on Cobol? A few hours ago when you killed Crashdown. <laughs> um like Chief helped you out and didn't rat you out or anything. So now you should use your influence to help him out and get him out of the brig and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um Baltar's not having any of that though, and he kinda um you know he kind of pushes aside Callie's attempts at blackmail. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not 
you know, again, with Baltar, it's like the question is always like not entirely sure why he's refusing these things. Because ultimately he does kind of, like he does help the chief. Mm -hmm. So like it's hard to understand like what his resistance is necessarily at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly when he goes to talk to Ty, Mm -hmm. like there's some problems. And, (laughs) And, you know... His pulling rank as VP works about as well as his attempt to democratize the military operation that Crashdown right. was running. Um, right. Which is to say it doesn't work at all, of course. And, and you know, yeah. you know, he's all like, oh, well, I'm the VP. And so, you know, technically whatever. And Ty's like, well, technically it's martial law. So you do what I say. Uh, or going to the brig, you know, one or the other. Yeah. And so, um, which ultimately is kind of funny because what Ty wants him to do is the same thing as basically what Callie wants him to do, which is to, you know, prove that Tyrrell is not a Cylon. Right. Well, I mean, Ty doesn't care necessarily what the result is. He just he wants, just to, wants know. to know yeah. one way or the other. Um, but you also get the feeling that if, if uh, Tyrrell really is a Cylon, you know, Callie would want to know that as well, perhaps. Mm. Um, so, you know, despite the, like, I mean, despite her beliefs or whatever. Right. Although maybe not. Maybe maybe if Tyrrell is proved to be a Cylon, then maybe Callie still wouldn't change her feelings or whatever, um, which is, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like with Baltar, <laughs> we're back to just his general kind of that tension between, okay, yes, there's a side of Baltar that's very um, narcissistic and likes the spotlight. But then there's also the part of him that his solution is to kind of stay as low profile as possible and kind of like whatever you want him to be doing is not what he wants to be doing. Like, when they wanted him to create a silent detector, he thought of everything he could to, like, slow it down and get out of it and worm his way out. And then it's like, okay, he seeks the vice presidency. And, like, immediately he's complaining about how he's not fit to be vice president, doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't, you know, whatever. You know, so it's that thing of he'll flip-flop between the two as it suits him. You know, and it's like, well, if pulling my vice president rank means that I can avoid the Cylon detector thing, which is under a lot of scrutiny right now, then I'll try that, you know? Um, yeah. You know, and again, his Cylon detector is more about proving his own, like, uh, usefulness than it is about actually, like, getting a working method going. It's more about how do I make sure that they don't turn on me for having a faulty or fraudulent Cylon detector than it is about actually making sure that it works and tests accurately and all this stuff. Um, So yeah, between Callie's threats and Ty's threats, he's sort of, that's enough motivation to sort of test the chief, but more for his own, you know, safety than for, you know. Yeah. He's not really necessarily motivated to exonerate the chief or anything um it's more about how do i get 
Callie and Ty off my back about this stuff. Right. Um, and I tried to hide under the presidential duties and that didn't work. So I guess I have to figure out something with the silent detector. Um, yeah, which is interesting because so he comes in and instead of just taking a blood sample, um, which is what he's supposed to be doing, um, he injects something you know, into Tyrrell and nearly kills him, seemingly. Um, and, yeah, so you know, he says. So he says. Um, and, you know, uses that as, you know, uh, blackmail, I guess, to get Boomer to give him information, uh, you know, about how many Cylons are left in the fleet. Again, seemingly, because this is always the problem with information you gather via torture is how accurate is it you know is he any wiser than when he started you know who can say because she says she doesn't know um and he kind of says well even if you don't know consciously you must know down in your software you know you must have it encoded in you somewhere so she sort of bursts out that there are eight but you know yeah uh how believable that is, you know, right. um, is right. I think up for some debate. Yeah. And I mean, that's the big question, right? Did she just shout out a number or, right. And you know, what does that mean? Does that mean there are more who look like the ones we already know about, or does it mean, you know, right. Are Those more... are in addition to the ones we already know about. Right. Yeah. Cause I, what do we know three of them at this point, right? Like, yeah. Besides, sorry, Boomer. sorry. Plus, well, four with Boomer. Four with Boomer, right? Four with the Sharon, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, which, you know, again, like it's still, like there's still like forty some odd thousand people, so, you know there could be another Sharon in the fleet somewhere like, mm -hmm. and nobody would like her face hasn't been plastered everywhere. Like right. the That's others true. have. So, um, and even, even after the other others had faces plastered everywhere, like they weren't like, you know, we still had, um, uh, uh, What's the, what was the press guy's oh, name again? Doral. Yeah, we still had Doral, like, a copy of him come in and, like, blow himself up and stuff, right? Like, right. after after he was known to be a Cylon, you know, right. or whatever. Well, and Baltar's question isn't even all that clear because it's like, when he asked how many Cylons are left in the fleet, does that mean how many individual Cylons are there? Or does that mean how many versions of... Right. Like there are eight other models, but there could be multiple individuals of those. You know, there could be, like you said, you know, three more of this boomer kind and, and you know, five number sixes and who knows, you know, like, so uh, it's yeah. not necessarily the most useful information that he gathers, but... Um, 
Yep. Yeah. So, like you said, you know, information under torture may not be the most reliable or whatever. So, are you, and especially when you're relying on like the human emotion part of the Cylon, like right. you're relying on Boomer's love or whatever you want to call it for Tyrrell. So, you know, again, how reliable is any information you get from that? Um, right. And is that, is that the way to access the latent, you know, Cylon memory or not? Right. Who knows? So, yeah. Um, but but it, she says it, Baltar, you know, like wakes Ty back up, or I'm uh, sorry, Tyrrell back up, and like everything seems to be fine at that point. Um, meanwhile, in another part of the ship, <laughs> you have Callie like continuing to go wild, like they're building this. <laughs> Um, new cell that she thinks is for Tyrrell. Mm -hmm. um, although it seems to turn out to be for Boomer. Mm -hmm. um, and she's getting into fights with like Jammer and the big dude. Um, yeah. And whatever. And is like you know hard hard to say like what she really expects to happen at that point. But like, you also get the sense that she's not entirely sane at that sure. point. Like, like I don't, I don't mean to say she's insane per se, but like, you know, that there's uh, certainly a certain level of stress sort of, that seems to be causing her anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. She decides then, apparently, to take matters into her own hand. And, uh... Right, because, again, like some of the other characters, Jammer, like, plants a seed. Whether or not he meant it quite that way or that literally, he kind of says, like, well, if you want to blame someone, blame Boomer. You know, none of us right. are really responsible for this. Right. Um, and, again, too... I think harking back to the earlier episode when it was like Callie and Jammer and Susinus where Callie was, is like the one, at least for the people that she cares about feeling the most uh, certain that, you know, not the chief is what she said before. Right. Like it can't anybody but him. It, I know him and it absolutely can't be him. Jammer being a bit more like cynical or, or at least, easier to believe that, you know, there could be silence among us because he was the first one to kind of say, like, well, it could really be anybody and we really only know ourselves, if that. So watch your back and that's kind of, you know, so not that yeah. he's, like, particularly disloyal, but, like, when Ty says Chief is a Cylon and he's in the brig, Jammer believes him, like, you know, without question really. So yeah. kind of they're at those extremes. Um but yeah, he he plants a seed that uh Callie takes to a very literal extreme. Um and you get her kind of 
Jack Ruby assassination in the hallway, you know, when they're right. moving right. Boomer, you know, through the to her new holding cell with everybody jeering and, you know, uh, yeah. you know, calling at her and, you know, um, Callie sort of pops up out of nowhere and uh, pops one in her kind of right where she shot Adama almost, you know, like right, there's a right. kind of parallel there of like, all right, this is yeah. justice for what you did, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's, I mean, it's definitely right in the same, you know, abdomen, abdominal, abdominal area. <laughs> abdominal? Um, yeah, like, uh, like Adama's there. Um, although, Boomer seems to die right away, whereas yes. Adama, uh, you know, as we know, does not. Yes. Um, and, you know, and in the arms of the chief who, you know, maybe doesn't seem as convinced by his own animosity for Boomer, you know, like, it, on the one level, you know, he can say, I hate you, get away from me. But then, you know, in the face of her dying, he yeah. seems moved by that. So he's not totally, you know, there's right. still, there's still obviously uh, affection there um, right. that isn't entirely gone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So last few minutes, we should talk about the Caprica folks. Yes. I don't know as, as is our want with Caprica folks. Like, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time. Um, get Hilo and Starbucks still kind of going off. So they're in Starbucks car now and not really doing a good job of knowing where they're going. Um, sort of thing. Not, I almost said things are getting heated not real heated, but there's like a little sniping at each other. And then mm -hmm. there's real sniping from other people at them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, like, you know, Oh, you don't even know where you are. Well, you're the navigator while well, you're leading, blah, 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 you know, and, and you get like, they stop and are checking like the maps, you know, like the physical paper maps. I wonder, I didn't notice were the paper corners cut off were the, like <laughs> of the maps. I didn't notice. Um, I don't uh, know. Yeah, huh. it's a big question. Um, but yeah, I, like I certainly hope so. Otherwise, they're not official uh, right. colonial maps. I don't think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is Starbucks, so maybe they're pirate maps. Sure. Um, so then you get um, in our in our grand name, uh, uh, you know, our our continuing tradition of band names. You get Sam Anders and the Caprica Buccaneers. Um, yeah with uh uh sort of following in the woods um and so this is the the thing that like irritates me a little bit because <laughs> like you get that these guys have been around since you know the beginning which uh -huh. i don't do we know that i forget what day we're at at this point but what, how long since? Yeah, like how many days it's been since, know. you know, the attacks. But like over a month or so, right? Like I think anywhere. like several months, yeah. Yeah. Like, so they've been around a while. They've seen 
the Cylon models, at least mm -hmm. most of them that we think. Like, none of the actions that Hilo and Starbuck are doing are like the purposeful activities that Cylons have. Like, mm -hmm. you don't get the sense that like Cylons are coming out in the middle of the woods and <laughs> looking at maps. You know what I mean? Like, so I just. Sure. For, for the level and amount of, for the amount of time that they've spent out, like, on their own fighting Cylons, whatever. Right. They don't seem to me to have the best judgment here. Sure. Um, you know, sure. I don't, I don't know that it makes sense for them to just, like, start shooting at the two of them. Right. Um, like, and also since, like, given given that they go back to like a whole community of people like like right they must it, have come it, across other people yeah they before. must have found other people at some point like because they you know the caprica bucks the sea bucks uh <laughs> were at you know off by themselves at one point and then came across other people so right. like it's not like this is the first time they've had first contact with right you know other potential humans um so sure. that all seems a little off base to me, but whatever. Yeah. It works out. Like they figure it out. They don't end up, they waste a lot of ammo, but don't kill each other. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's like a silver lining, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, right. Nobody gets needlessly shot and then has to be like tended to or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never really thought of it that way, but now that you pointed out, um, that is a good point. Uh, but yeah, so like, I don't, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but so they do go back to their, it's like a old school or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, they have this little community and, you know, we learned that there were more people, but they got killed and, you know, they're, they're kind of doing their raiding thing and trying to just have enough food and medicine and, and ammo to kind of keep up the good work, so to speak. Um, Oh, and by the way, we have this new game, Pyramid, that apparently, you know, the Seabucks were a team that played, um, and I don't really know the rules, but we see Starbuck and Sam playing it right. um, with a lot of innuendo sort of there. Sure. They seem to be... Yeah, it's very, you know, it's a very up close and personal and physical game, so they get, you know... Yeah. Very intimate with each other in the in process of playing. Yeah. And sweaty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you even get that Starbuck makes it mention that she might have been able to go pro if she hadn't, you know, had an injury. So, you know, I guess she's a match for, for Sam in that way. Like she gives him a run for his money and actually being able to play the game and everything. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. So yeah, I I don't I mean I don't know that there's a lot to say. Just other I mean like yeah this now we're now we Sam is introduced and his cohorts um, right right and yeah yeah Hilo and Starbuck have found a group and and like Hilo's point is like oh now it should be easier hopefully to find a way to get off mm -hmm. you know this planet and right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's all. I don't really have any insight to all that. Just sort of acknowledging this. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole 
lot really it's more just introducing those characters and this idea that there is this resistance on Caprica there's you know you know so like we they only went back you know they didn't know Hilo was there so they only went back to Caprica for the arrow you know which Roslyn insists that they must have and and sent Starbuck for but now you find oh she found Hilo so there's somebody else who can kind of get rescued out of the situation and oh now they found that there are at least one group of survivors um you know so suddenly going back to Caprica I think has even more significance than just oh we need the MacGuffin you know um but there are we've kind of abandoned Caprica as this Cylon occupied lost cause but that's not necessarily the case you know there are people you know uh who are surviving on their own, but who could certainly use some help. Um, you might yeah. not want to live in Cylon occupied Caprica. Um, you know, so uh, I think it mostly just introduces that situation. I don't think there's a ton to say about it in this episode, really. Um, but anyway, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, so uh, next week we have uh, some more BSG, of course, mm -hmm. um, and then we have our Buffy musical episode. <gasps> That's right. Which you've been waiting for, I know. So a long and I time. have too. I mean, it's definitely a, a fun one, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it's the only episode mm -hmm. that Whedon writes this season. So, which is unusual yes. for Buffy, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Angel, I think there's a couple seasons where he only writes one episode, but right. um, certainly in Buffy, he always writes more than one um, in every other season. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, also wanted to point out, um, actually just coincidentally, uh, uh, Thomas Johnson, who is, you know, a friend of ours uh mentioned asked where we were and i said that this episode was coming up and um he mentioned to me for anybody listening who might not know this that actually the netflix version is uh truncated it's like 10 minutes shorter so i'm planning on watching it on dvd and so anybody out there who has you know access to the dvds apparently that is the preferred you know method yeah. uh to get the full you know, non-abridged, you know, episode. So, um, just thought I would, I'm glad he mentioned it because I would have had no idea. So, um, yeah. Well, there you go. All right. So we'll be back next week with that. All right. See you then. <laughs>